Mr. Sliggins by Gary Gordon Do as you're told, or Mr. Sliggins will get you, said Jonathan's mother teasingly, but at the same time quite serious with her threat. Immediately, the boy put down the peanut butter and closed the pantry door. That particular warning was something his mother had received on many occasions from her own mother when she was a child. Mr. Sliggins, according to Jonathan's grandmother, had apparently been a monstrous and highly dangerous man who was said to have terrorized the streets of Victorian London during the late 1800s. During Queen Victoria's reign, many slums lurked behind the capital's busy thoroughfares, and Mr. Sliggins was alleged to have prowled these areas, seizing on the opportunity to snatch young waifs, luring them in with his likable demeanor, and magic tricks performed with the use of his old grimy top hat. After gaining their trust, he would then smuggle them away and perform cruel and ghastly experiments on them, experiments that would often culminate with their demise by way of drowning. The method Mr. Sliggins chose to do this would often involve sealing the terrified urchin inside an old wooden alcohol barrel. He would then observe how long the barrel remained afloat before it disappeared below the surface into the black, murky depths of the River Thames. It was claimed that Mr. Sliggins was the owner of a large brewery, thus giving him easy access to any number of these barrels, although this assertion was never confirmed in historical records. Indeed, no records of this man or any of his criminal acts were ever unearthed by Jonathan's mother. Was it all true, or just a tale? She was never able to find out. Jonathan Rose lived with his mother, Olivia Rose, just south of the River Thames, in a large Victorian terraced house, on the fringes of Plumstead Common, within the borough of Greenwich, London. It was bedtime for Jonathan. He crawled up the stairs as slowly as he could get away with, then trudged into the bathroom to brush his teeth. Picking up the toothpaste, he glanced into the small round mirror on the wall above the sink, and thought he saw the reflection of someone going by the open bathroom door. He presumed it was just his mother. "'I'm brushing my teeth,' he shouted, thinking nothing of it. "'No need to be checking on me.' Jonathan finished brushing and spat out the foaming paste. After rinsing his face with cold water, he hated it warm. He once again looked into the mirror, and glimpsed another figure passing the bathroom door this time in the opposite direction, back towards the stairs. "'Night, mother,' he said, quietly and confidently. Quickly, the boy rinsed out the sink and switched off the light. As he left the room, he noticed something. It was a large, tatty old handkerchief, sprawled across the landing floor. He thought briefly about shouting his mother, but decided against it, choosing instead to drape the handkerchief over the banister. She's so untidy, he chuckled to himself in mild frustration, shaking his head at the same time. It wasn't particularly late, but it was a Sunday evening, meaning school the next day. At eleven years old, Jonathan would soon be starting high school. He always felt much older than his younger years suggested, or so he would imagine to himself. 
To his mother, naturally, he was just the same as any other child of his age, having a liking for treats between meals, and a tendency to misbehave. As he made his way along the landing to the bedroom, Jonathan thought he heard a voice, an incredibly quiet voice, whispering the words, Here we go, then. The voice seemed to be emanating from directly above his head. Instinctively, he looked up. All he saw were dancing dark shadows, cast from the living room below, forming strange shapes and eerie patterns across the peeling purple paintwork. The boy shook his head and rubbed his eyes. He knew deep down it must be his overactive imagination— that had been oddly activated by his mother's earlier iteration of the Sliggins warning. Trying his best not to think about it, Jonathan entered his room, removed his slippers, and climbed into bed. London City Airport was just across the river, and the sound of incoming and outgoing aircraft was a familiar disturbance to the sleeping patterns of many residents. However, on this night, It wasn't just the planes causing the boys insomnia. For some reason, Jonathan just couldn't get the thought of Mr. Sliggins out of his head. When issued with his mother's threat, he would usually do as he was told and then think no more of it. After all, it was just one of those things that parents said to elicit a response. Of course, being more intelligent and grown up than most children his age, he knew this very well. His mother, on the other hand, was very childish, he thought, constantly getting her own way and sulking when she didn't. She always had to be right, and argued that she was never in the wrong. The boy had witnessed conflicts of this nature on many occasions whilst out shopping, and when visiting relatives and friends. Very childish, he often thought. The wind howled strongly outside, and the rain battered the window. Jonathan continued to lie awake, not because of the weather or the sound of his mother laughing and shouting at the television downstairs, but because of the constant image of Mr. Sliggins worming away in his thoughts. The boy visualized him dressed in black Victorian attire, complete with old battered top hat. In fact, not too dissimilar to a character from Oliver Twist, a book that he had recently studied at school. A couple of hours passed by. Jonathan could now hear mumbling and snippets of strange-sounding conversations coming from below. It sounded as though the television had increased in volume, but he thought nothing of it. Instead, he turned over and concentrated on trying to get some sleep. Suddenly, Jonathan was snapped from his imaginings by the sound of a loud, piercing scream downstairs. He immediately pulled the bedsheet over his head. His heart was beating rapidly, and his breathing was becoming heavier, especially now that the supply of oxygen had began to dwindle in his cotton hideaway. Pulling the sheet away again, the boy took a big gulp of air and stared intently at the bedroom door. After much deliberation, Jonathan climbed slowly from his bed and tentatively crept across the room the only source of light being a dim phosphorus street lamp just outside the window. As he reached the bedroom door, the boy carefully placed an ear against the wood and listened keenly. 
Trying in vain to shut out the sound of the wind and the rain against the window, Jonathan tussled with his imagination. Is someone else in the house? Has mother fallen and hurt herself, perhaps? Jonathan battled with his decision process, before finally choosing to slowly open the door. The boy looked out onto the landing. All the lights were off, with the exception of the faint illumination provided by the television in the living room below. Its flickering light struck the spindles of the staircase, casting strange, elongated shadows across the landing wall. From his vantage point by the bedroom door, Jonathan was unable to see into the living room. This made things much worse. His imagination was running wild. All sorts of images were coming to mind. His mother lying injured on the floor, an intruder creeping around down there. Above the din of the wind and the rain, and the noise of the television set below, the boy detected a quiet, scraping sound emanating from the bottom of the carpeted staircase. Hesitantly, Jonathan took a couple of steps towards the landing banister, and gazed into the dimness below. Sweat began to form on the boy's brow, his breathing once again becoming increasingly heavy, his heart racing. Then, to his utmost surprise, a small white rabbit appeared below, clumsily hopping its way up the gloomily lit staircase. Jonathan was confused, surprised, and scared simultaneously. The rabbit reached the landing, stopped for a second to look at the boy, then continued its ungraceful lolloping journey in the direction of the darkened bathroom at the top of the stairs, before vanishing from view. Jonathan stood in disbelief. What could have only been a few seconds seemed like forever. Then, somewhat automatically, the boy proceeded to make his way to the top of the stairs. He took the deepest of breaths, and slowly began his descent into the living room. He was about halfway down when he stumbled on something. By his feet he saw a pack of playing cards, old and worn, spread out unevenly across a single stair. He frowned and shook his head. He didn't understand what was happening. The house shook and creaked as the heavy rain and fierce winds continued to rage outside. From his position halfway up the stairs, Jonathan was afforded a view of the dark living room. His mother was nowhere to be seen. And then he noticed something strange in the gloom. A scruffy-looking black top hat, just sitting there minding its own business on the multicolored rug in the center of the room. Fear gripped the boy, for the notion of Mr. Sliggins was once again at the forefront of his mind. His thoughts were swift. The rabbit! The cards! Magic tricks! Of course! Jonathan was absolutely terrified. Bravely, the boy continued to the bottom of the stairs, and darted across the room, keeping his eyes fixed on the weird hat as he rapidly made his way to the kitchen. It was empty. Where's mother? Who screamed? To Jonathan's ears it sounded like his mother, but how could he be sure? The boy wrestled with his thoughts for a short while, before returning to the living room. He looked with trepidation at the hat on the floor, then tried the light switch. Nothing happened. 
Maybe the fuses have blown. Things were becoming increasingly frightening, and yet it was a situation that the boy curiously saw as an opportunity to challenge his idea of what it meant to be mature. He walked across the room towards the front door, but as he went, the hat in the centre of the room began to move. Sluggishly, it shook, then started to rise from the floor just a few inches at a time, before settling down again, almost to a stop, before once more gently rising in a measured, consistent manner. Jonathan stood with mouth agape, eyes wide. Then from underneath the slowly rising hat, something began to emerge. A crumpled pair of black shoes, followed by strange legs twisted to form a spiral, sporting a thick, black material. A contorted torso came next, adorned with the same dark covering. Finally, there emerged a slender, wrinkled head, complete with a mass of dirty ginger hair. The boy shook uncontrollably, his mind filled with a strange combination of surprise, humour, and terror. Then, quite unexpectedly, the tangled, twisted mass gradually and deliberately began to unwrap itself, until it was ultimately presented as a fully formed human being, dressed in a shabby top-and-tail suit. The head, which had been crushed almost to the width of a fist, suddenly popped outwards in an almost comical yet unnerving fashion, the top hat briefly rising, before settling softly at a slight angle on the man's head. "'My name is Mr. Sliggins, your very obedient servant,' said the strange character. Was the figure real, or was Jonathan still sound asleep in his bed? "'If this is actually happening, no one is going to believe it,' the boy thought to himself. The mysterious man just stood there, both hands clasped in front of himself firmly. He stared at Jonathan with an expressionless, immobile face. If the boy's knowledgeable grandmother had been right, then surely this was going to be the end of Jonathan. Another thought raced into his mind. That's what the screaming must have been. Mother must have seen him. She must have run off without coming to get me. How typical that would have been of Olivia Rose, always putting herself before others, including her son. It would be of no surprise whatsoever if she had indeed fled from the house, leaving Jonathan to his own devices. The peculiar man spoke again. Here we go, then. Mr. Sliggins waved his finger from side to side, and as he did so, the hat dropped to the floor, and he was gone. Jonathan jumped in fright, snapping himself out of the trance that had held him. He glanced towards the front door, and then back to the rug. The hat was gone, too. The boy charged out of the front door and sped across the road without any thought for his own safety. He ran on to Plumstead Common and kept going until his chest began to burn. Eventually, he was forced to stop and drop to the ground. He was finding it hard to breathe, as if the air was being denied entrance to his lungs. Mother! he shrieked. A large plane flew low overhead, drowning out Jonathan's cry. The rain continued to fall around him. The grass on which he sat glistened wet. And it was then that he realized 
he was sinking into the marshy earth, as though he was being pulled down by some unseen force. The boy struggled against it, but continued to descend into the stinking mud. He clawed frantically at the wet grass around him, as his legs began to disappear into the sludge. Quite abruptly, the descent ceased. Jonathan's feet had come into contact with something, something solid. The boy looked around him, and in the darkness just behind him was a rubbish bin. He extended his arms, and much to his surprise, managed to reach and get a good grip on two of the bin's metal legs. With an almighty effort, Jonathan hauled himself forward, exhausting every ounce of strength he could muster. Then, gradually, with a look of huge relief on his face, he succeeded in dragging himself out of the murky ditch. Lying on the wet grass, Jonathan rolled over and stared at what was now a muddy hole. The eye of the cavity glared back at him, within which he saw a curious metal band. Carefully, clinging onto the rubbish bin with one hand, the boy scooped the mud away from the metal band and saw that it belonged to an old wooden barrel, the very thing that had prevented his premature burial. Confused, Jonathan climbed to his feet and wandered back towards home. As he went along the road, a white rabbit darted out in front of him and was almost hit by a car as it fled onto the common, disappearing into the darkness. When the boy arrived home, he was in a state of shock and utterly shattered by the unsettling events that had taken place. Removing his filthy clothes, he collapsed onto the couch, trying in vain to make sense of what had happened. Tiredness swiftly gripped him. Must be a dream, must be a dream, he repeated to himself, before falling into a long, deep, and haunted sleep. Mrs. Rose emitted a muffled scream, the sound dulled by the oily cloth that had been stuffed between her teeth. Her hands were bound tightly behind her back. From out of the shadows, Mr. Sliggins emerged. Olivia's eyes widened in horror as the figure slowly approached. He walked with a slight limp, his head slightly bowed, so that his eyes could not be seen beneath his hat. Leisurely, he shuffled past the terrified woman, then stopped just a few feet behind her. Independent of the rest of him, his head swung around like a spinning top, quickly followed by his slender body. Tentatively, Mr. Sliggins began to creep up behind Mrs. Rose. This was the first time he had dealt with an adult, and was therefore strangely hesitant. Then, after a few seconds of curious deliberation, he reached out with his long, gangly arms and grabbed the sides of the small wooden chair Olivia was sitting on. Boo! he cried out somewhat maniacally. The terrified, incapacitated woman let out yet another dreadful scream. Here we go, then, Mr. Sliggins said matter-of-factly. With that, he tilted the chair backwards and began to drag it across the room to the open exit of the abandoned boathouse to which he'd brought his victim. Once outside, he unfastened Mrs. Rose from the chair and pushed her squirming body headfirst 
into a large wooden barrel that lay on its side. A full moon arose from the clouds, casting a sudden, bright, eerie light across the barrel's metal hoops. Mr. Sliggins' lifeless eyes failed to react to the light, as he quickly attached the thick oak lid and hastily nailed it shut. Without hesitation, the slender figure began to roll the barrel down the dilapidated jetty, rumbling and thumping the old wooden slats as it went. Inside the barrel, Olivia cried out in pain, wincing with every bump and bang of the wood as it rolled down the rickety platform. The inner surface of the barrel splintered, thrusting a sharp shard of rotten wood into her side. Eventually, after what seemed like an eternity to her, she became abruptly aware of the sensation of falling, followed promptly by a harsh jolt as the barrel hit the surface of what could only be the dark river. The full moon shone like a torch onto the chilly water. The rain had stopped, but the wind persisted, aiding the barrel in its journey as it bobbed away downstream. The heavy current took on the appearance of black, lapping hands that seemed hell-bent on forcing the barrel further and further downriver, towards the merciless body of water that was the English Channel. Before long, salt water was dousing Olivia's face, invading her nose. She was nearing the estuary. The tide had turned and was on its way out. Soon, the barrel would be entering the open sea. Her lungs began to burn. She clamped her mouth shut and fought in vain to free her hands. A futile act as the thick rope binding them together would prevent any hope of escape. The barrel was full of water now, and the urge to breathe was unbearable. Olivia's chest was on the brink of collapse. Please, please, she silently begged. Bubbles discharged rapidly from her mouth, taking with them any remnants of precious air. Her thoughts were clouded by blackness. Gradually, her life force drifted away. Jonathan shot up from his slumber. He looked around him, the streetlight beyond the window dimly illuminating the room. He was in his bedroom, in his bed. It was a dream. It was all a horrible dream, he thought to himself. But just as he was about to roll over again, he felt something, a kind of light pressure against his legs. Slowly, the encumbrance began to move upwards towards his chest. Immediately, Jonathan sat straight up. In the darkness, he perceived what appeared to be the figure of a man, an exceedingly small man, alarmingly similar to Mr. Sliggins, approximately seven or eight inches tall, striding purposely over his body towards his terror-filled face. Then everything went black. Once again, Jonathan abruptly awoke and uttered a deafening scream. He was on the couch, right where he'd collapsed earlier. It was all just a terrible nightmare, wasn't it? The water was cold, icy cold. Two fishermen were attempting to pull aboard a large wooden object that had become stuck inside one of their nets. Failing to do so, they secured the item to the back of their vessel, 
and return to the harbour. Back in port, the men hauled the heavy object onto the dockside. It was a wooden barrel. Believing it to hold something of value, one of the men, armed with a crowbar, managed to open the rotting lid. Both men were immediately knocked back by the unbearable stench that greeted them. Inside, amongst the seaweed and flotsam, was a body, a dead, bloated, decaying human body. Ten Years Later Jonathan Rose, now twenty-one years old, strolled along Thames Boulevard. It was a crisp, bright December morning. Tower Bridge was in the distance, partially enveloped by a veil of winter fog. Two young boys approached, chattering jovially and laughing as they advanced in Jonathan's direction. As they were about to pass, he stopped and tipped his grimy, battered top hat towards them. "'Good evening, young sirs,' said the man with the expressionless, immobile face. "'Should you be in need of my services, I would be honoured to be your very obedient servant.' After saying which, he slowly turned his head and gazed out across the cold, black, unforgiving river.' 